Welcome to the Leadership Disrupted Podcast. This is Dan Rust. In the previous episode, we highlighted many of the factors that are driving disruption in the modern work environment and how those factors are not only impacting leaders, but also impacting employees and causing them to be less engaged, less energized, less motivated, less focused, and ultimately less productive. So today we're going to be focusing more deeply on employee engagement, which is particularly relevant when we're hearing so much about quiet quitting, which refers to employees who put no more effort into their jobs than is absolutely necessary. Essentially, they are as disengaged as they can be without losing their jobs. But before we talk about that, we have to talk about the leadership of those employees. And when we talk about effective leadership and what makes someone a great leader, it's such a complex topic, which does, of course, make it an interesting area of study, but also it's easy to get overwhelmed by the thousands of books and self-described experts on the topic of leadership, myself included. And yet, for all that information, for all the thinking and writing and training and executive coaching related to leadership development, many organizations and individuals still struggle with the simple question, what does great leadership look like? Is it visionary leadership or situational leadership or servant leadership or emotionally intelligent leadership or quantum or strategic or primal leadership? Is great leadership a result of innate psychological behavioral traits or a set of learnable skills and competencies? With so many really smart people focused on it, you'd think that we would have long ago cracked the code of great leadership. But most organizations still struggle with it, and I think we can all acknowledge that when we ourselves encounter leaders in business, in government, in the military, and everywhere else, many of them are less than optimal. Perhaps most of them. But not all. I frequently have the opportunity to meet exceptional leaders, and they come in such an amazing variety. All ages, cultures, genders, backgrounds, even a variety of personalities and behavioral styles. Some are seven habits leaders. Some are profits first leaders, or good to great leaders, or execution, or traction leaders. And many are just their own unique combination of skills, behaviors, backgrounds, values, So it can be hard to discern what all these great leaders have in common because they are so diverse and unique. But if you pay very close attention, there is one thing, one trait, one focus they all share. And to explain that one thing, we have to go back about 50,000 years to when our species first showed up on the planet. Certain evolutionary traits allowed our human species to thrive even as other hominoid species around us were perishing. We lived in populations that were never bigger than 150 people, small, stable groups with very high social cohesion, strong relationships, and interdependency. For 40,000 of the 50,000 years our species has existed, this is how we lived. This is how our brains evolved to thrive through cooperation in a small, trusted group. And this is how we are wired still today. It's only in the past 10,000 years or so, with farming, that we were able to live in populations larger than that. And only with industrialization in the past few hundred years that we've lived and worked in even larger populations. 
which means from an evolutionary perspective that our brains are still wired for living in a small, stable group with a very high social cohesion within that group. But our living and working environment has become vastly more complex. Our brains are not made for a business environment where we might feel the need to watch our back because not everyone can be trusted to look out for us. Not everyone can be depended upon to carry their fair share of the workload, where the rewards are not necessarily distributed evenly or based upon contribution to the group. And when you think back to all of the disruptions that I mentioned in the previous episode, this makes it even more clear why these disruptions are so, well, disruptive. I'm not passing judgment on the modern work environment. I'm just observing that we are not naturally wired to work productively in an environment where we might be laid off or fired, ejected from the group, where we might have a leader and co-workers we don't know or trust. We might have a job we don't particularly like or doesn't seem that important, where we have little influence or control over our environment, where we really don't feel deeply connected to the people we work with. In so many ways, from an evolutionary standpoint, we are not made for this. As far as our brain is concerned, all the rules of being human are exactly the same as they used to be when we were living in populations of about 150. And so, if you can understand that, as a leader, you can understand what works and what doesn't work in terms of leading a group regardless of the conditions. You can understand how to lead a group in a way that aligns with our evolutionary development. And every great leader understands, sometimes consciously, but often just instinctively, great leaders understand we are social animals and we respond to the environments we're in, always. Our brain is wired to think that our very survival depends on our ability to cooperate and trust the people that we live with and work with. You can take a good employee, and put them in a bad work environment, and that person will most likely produce bad results. They will become disengaged, disconnected, demotivated, and at best produce less than optimal results. And you can take a person that perhaps has been a less than optimal employee. Maybe they've even been a really bad employee. Very unproductive, demotivated, disengaged, you can put them in a good environment and they will eventually become capable of turning themselves around and becoming a remarkably productive and valued contributor to the group. Yes, there are exceptions to this. Average leaders love to complain about the quality of their people. If only I had better people to work with. But great leaders know that for the most part, The quality of their people is a reflection of the quality of the environment within which those people work. In other words, it's not the person, it's the environment, and leaders are responsible for that environment. So many average leaders think they are only responsible for results. But great leaders, like the ones I mentioned before, they understand that they are not responsible for results, they are responsible for the people who are responsible for the results. And if you take care of that, if you take care of people, take care of the environment within which the people work together, most often things will work out just fine. Some leaders are obsessed with the idea of getting the right people on the bus. And of course, it's important to ensure that you have people with the right capabilities for each role. But we should also be asking, who's driving the bus? How well is the bus running? When was the last time the bus had a maintenance check? 
The bus itself matters. The environment matters. What I've also learned from the amazing leaders I've met is that great leadership has nothing to do with rank or authority. Leadership is a responsibility. It is a social responsibility. Whatever your current level or rank or authority may be, when you make a choice to enhance the working environment, when you make a choice to help a colleague, when you make a choice to respect the human needs of others, when you do anything to enhance the working environment for others, you are a leader. Because that's what great leadership is. It is taking responsibility to take care of the people around us, the people with whom we work. And if you accept that the one thing for a great leader is to create an environment that respects, engages, and connects with every employee, the good news is that we know exactly what that takes. Because employees have told us what it takes. For more than 20 years, there have been a variety of national surveys of employee engagement. The bad news is that a high percentage of employees are not particularly engaged at work, and in fact, overall engagement has been declining in the past decade. But the good news is they've told us exactly what it would take to get them fully engaged. So, the one thing, optimizing the work environment in order to optimize employee engagement, is a result of 10 critical things that employees are yearning for in their work environment. And what is most fascinating is that these 10 things align fully with how our evolutionary brain is wired. So there are 10 critical drivers of employee engagement. And I know this is going to frustrate some of you, especially if your mindset is essentially, I pay them to be engaged. That should be enough. Of course, I wish that was true. But in our last podcast, we talked about business being a social enterprise. And here we're talking about leadership being a social responsibility. And the reality is that in this particular time in which we are living and leading, compensation is just one of many employee engagement drivers. And it's not enough to just get one or two of them right. In today's world, you have to get all of them, or at least most of them right, to fully optimize your employee engagement. So without further ado, here are the 10 engagement drivers. Number one, employees tell us that they want their work to have significance, a compelling purpose, the sense that their organization exists to achieve goals that are inherently important, not just to employees and business owners, but to the broader world or community. Employees want to feel that their organization has a significant mission and that their own work makes an important contribution to that effort. From the front line to the executive suite, everyone wants to feel significant. Number two, people yearn for authentic leadership, meaning leaders who are tuned in to the reality of the business, leaders who can provide effective direction, both strategically and on the ground tactically. Employees want leaders who communicate with clarity and integrity and to know their leaders can be trusted to deal honestly and fairly with all employees. The most common complaints about leaders who are viewed as not authentic are he or she doesn't really know our business, he or she doesn't really know me or my contributions to our business, and doesn't communicate clearly or honestly. Number three, employees want clear objectives and expectations. 
They want to know exactly what is expected of them, how their performance will be measured, and how they will receive feedback related to their effectiveness. They want to know what doing a great job looks like, and what they don't want is the feeling that there are unspoken rules, unstated expectations, that they will have to figure out what the real culture of the organization is. Number four, adequate skills and resources. Employees want to have the knowledge, skills, tools, systems, and resources needed to perform their job functions effectively. This would seem to be obvious, but many employees report that their performance could significantly improve if they had different or better skills and or resources. Employees who feel a gap here, who feel that they could be doing better work if only they had fill in the blank, they tend to disengage from their work because they want to do exceptional work, but they lack the skills or resources needed to be exceptional. Number five, employees want an energizing environment, both mentally, emotionally, and physically, meaning a cultural environment that fosters acceptance and inclusion for all employees, particularly those who might easily be marginalized because of their differences, as well as a physical environment that optimizes employee health and energy. When employees are asked whether they gain energy and motivation from their work environment or are they debilitated by it all too frequently, the answers are not what we would hope for. Number six, pervasive productivity, meaning that employees want to feel that everyone within their group and their organization is making important contributions. Everyone is productive and no one is hiding out successfully. If your most productive employees feel that they are having to take on more than their fair share of the workload, they are not going to be your most productive employees for long. Number seven, employees want to experience, at least occasionally at work, the simple human emotion of joy, a sense of fun and humor. Even the most serious employee benefits from a bit of joyful engagement at work. Joy is what motivates people to look forward to their typical workday and to bring their full potential for innovation, creativity, and exceptional performance to the job. Our evolutionary brains are wired for joy, but unfortunately, the modern work environment often depresses that instinct in people. Number eight, employees want a sense of cooperative teamwork within their own work groups and across departments or divisions. Employees want to experience and to contribute to a high level of cooperation and mutual achievement of tasks, goals, and objectives. Can they count on each other? Can they be counted on by each other? Are various work departments, teams, and businesses working effectively together? That doesn't seem to be too much to ask, but often the work environment devolves into competing departments and divisions, passing on the hard work and shifting the blame when things don't go well. Number nine, rewards and recognition. Employees want to feel that compensation for their work is fair and fairly distributed based upon contributions to the business. And beyond their pay, are other rewards and recognition reasonable and do they accurately reflect actual workplace performance? Do those who work hardest and produce the most value for the organization also receive the greatest reward for their effort? Is exceptional performance rewarded and recognized in an exceptional manner? And finally, number 10. 
Employees yearn for development opportunities. They want to know that they have genuine opportunities to grow, develop, and improve their capabilities within their work environment. If they feel stifled and stagnated, then the only way to grow is to go somewhere else. And it's not just the younger or early career employees who feel this need. Virtually everyone wants to continue growing and developing throughout their career. Now, if the other factors are missing, if they experience no joy or rewards and recognition are lacking or other elements of the environment are amiss, they may appear to lack the desire for continuous development. But that's just because the environment has pounded it out of them. So all of this is what employees have been telling us for at least the last 20 years. This is what they want in a working environment. And we know, we know because there are organizations and leaders who are committed to this kind of environment. And we know from their results that this is the key to optimizing your business. But truly operationalizing these 10 engagement drivers in your organization can seem daunting. So here's how I would recommend that any leader thinks about these engagement drivers. First, ask yourself, how does your business strategy align with driving employee engagement? In your business planning and strategic execution process, where does employee engagement play a role? Then as a leader, think about your own capabilities. Think about yourself. You certainly have strengths. And do you also have individual development opportunities that could help to boost employee engagement? A bit of honest, deep self-reflection will probably help you see that while you have certainly done things to boost engagement, you have also probably done things that inadvertently diminish engagement. Then think about your team. Is the group as a whole participating in a manner that drives engagement? How can you build on the team-oriented culture to enhance employee engagement? Then think about your customer focus. How can staying true to what's most important to your customers also enhance employee engagement? And how can that result in an increased alignment with customer needs and priorities? And finally, how can you leverage the most current technology and communication advancements along with cultural and societal changes to create a more energizing and engaging work environment. So all of this might seem daunting at first, but is it really too much to ask? This is how great leaders view their role, focusing on the environment to take care of their people, which enables those people to produce exceptional results. If you want to optimize employee engagement in your organization, if you want to optimize the full potential of every individual, the full potential of your entire enterprise, this is where it starts. And of course, it isn't easy. That's why most organizations don't do it, which creates a competitive advantage for those leaders who put in the effort and energy necessary to fully optimize their employee potential. Recently, I had an opportunity to facilitate a workshop called Cracking the Engagement Code for a group of leaders, and we recorded the program, so I thought I would share with you some of the highlights. I think a good place to start is just like what is meant by the term employee engagement. Employee engagement describes the level of enthusiasm and dedication that a worker feels toward their job, which means 
the physical, mental, and emotional energy they bring to the job. So if I am a fully 100% engaged employee, it doesn't mean that I'm on all the time and working every single moment. It means I'm bringing myself 100% to that, that role. And we know that employee engagement is critical to an organization's success. And in fact, the more you employ knowledge workers, the more you are expecting employees to bring their minds to the workplace, the more critical employee engagement is. Although it's still, employee engagement is critical even if you are in a factory where workers are simply doing, let's call it factory level work, employee engagement still contributes to workplace satisfaction. It, it, it contributes to workplace safety. It contributes to reducing workplace turnover. So this concept of employee engagement, it's been around for 40 years, I think is the, the first reference to employee engagement. And there are three numbers that I think are very instructive or can be very instructive for us. First number, 2420. According to some of the most recent uh, research, in 2019, companies spent an average of $2,420 per person on their efforts to enhance the overall employee experience. This includes everything from investments in the environment that employees are working in to the tools and resources that employees have to reward and recognition programs, all of the things that, uh, it, that are uh, invested in in order to create that ideal employee experience. So about $2,500 per employee on average. 200 is actually 200 billion. If you look at the, again, the latest research we've been reviewing, employers are spending a huge amount of money on overall employee engagement initiatives. They can These can be big enterprise-wide initiatives. They can, these can be very small initiatives, but a huge amount of money is being spent. And this has been consistent over the last 20 years. And employee engagement investments have been increasing year over year. 3,400 is the average estimated cost of a fully disengaged employee or, a, or, or an employee who's disengaged enough to be noticeable, but not bad enough to be fired. So when you think about employees in a work environment who are still working, they're still contributing, but they're not bringing their full selves to the workplace. The employees are, who are so disengaged that it becomes obvious, we we clearly, we we transition those employees out. We let those employees go. The ones that really hurt us are the ones who appear to be productive, appear to be part of the team, part of the organization, but in fact, we're only getting 70% of their potential productivity or 50% or, or, or ultimately even less. So then with those three numbers in mind, over the last 20 years, and we've been tracking employee engagement, uh, like I said, it's been a topic for over 40 years, but for the last 20 years, I have been uh, driving a research initiative where every year we do a summary of uh, a number of different surveys. Uh, there are large surveys like the Gallup survey. There's the Gartner employee um, uh, engagement survey. The LinkedIn Glint survey just came into the market about four years ago. Uh, there's a survey called the Corporate Culture Map, which has been delivered to a global audience every year over the last 20 years. So in, in taking the aggregate content from those various surveys, and tracking employee engagement overall over the last 20 years, here's the trend line. 
we're spending hundreds of billions of dollars a year. And even 20 years ago, we may not have been spending hundreds of billions, but we were spending billions. This, is, this has been an issue ongoing year after year after year. And employee engagement is in fact drifting downwards. Nobody has the, the Uber answer, the ultimate answer, the absolute for certain answer why this is happening. But I'd be interested in some of your comments. Again, there's no right or wrong answer here. What would be your guess though, or what would be, what would be your thoughts in terms of how can we be spending so much money on employee engagement initiatives and yet engagement levels are actually trending downwards? Any, uh, and, and believe me, I don't have like the, the super secret correct answer. This I'm really asking. Do you do you have any any point of view? It could be. I mean, again, uh, completely conjecture. It could be the growth of technology, uh, which is uh, which. So, so today, the way I'm seeing it, today, all, any industry, whether it's in tech or non-tech, technology is very key. So, so you know, pharma is also all about technology, and mm -hmm. you know, every every organization that we talk about is all about technology, because of which there is a lot of cross movement. So their employee affinity to a particular organization has gone down compared to the earlier days when you would spend a long time in an organization and then you kind of adjust and so on and so forth. I think that affinity has gone down overall. It is more like you pay for my services, I do the services and I get out kind of a thing, right? Uh, that and that I think has, you know, technology has kind of catalyzed it. That is my personal view of this card. Uh, no data to support it, of course. Uh, 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 but I think it's, it's, it sounds perfectly valid. Uh, any other thoughts anyone would like to share? Uh, a couple of things, uh, generational things are uh, uh, also in play because we have a huge uh, uh, shift in the workforce demographics right now. So you have an older and much more experienced population now moving on and you know retiring and then handing off roles to other people and there are new people coming into the market and just the amount of talent that is available in the market is huge ambitions are high people want to succeed at what they do and there's a gap between what they learn in college and what they're doing at work and that gap is increasingly higher and i also see that if you compare the number of people who are in the workforce 20 years ago to how many there are right now mm -hmm. and in the pipeline, there's a big shift as well. That that's also front-loading this, uh, you know, engagement trend line, according to me. And this is again my personal opinion. Sure. And I think the reality is probably that there are multiple, multiple drivers of this employee disengagement, from from technology to complexity to you know higher employee expectations for what work is going to do for them, and so. While we don't necessarily have the, the definitive answer on what's driving it, we do have definitive answers in terms of what can be done to, to improve uh, employee engagement. We know that, um, and, and this is very current from the last 12 months, uh, based upon uh, a number of these, again, aggregate surveys, only 29% of employees are actively engaged in their jobs uh, meaning they work with a true passion and energy for the job. They they come to work fully engaged. 54% uh, characterize themselves in as overall not engaged. 
they have essentially checked out, they will still work. They will still do what's required, but they're not doing it with that human passion. You are not accessing the, their higher thinking capabilities. You are not accessing the best part of them. And then you have about 17% of employees who are actively disengaged. Uh, and, and the way we define that is they are acting out on their unhappiness. They are going out of their way to disengage. They'll still take the paycheck um, until you know they have some other opportunity or until they decide it's too much and they move on. But you know these are not these are not great numbers. And for any organization, you don't have to actually be nearly this bad in order for employee engagement to be. Um, an important topic for your organization. And even as just an individual manager or leader managing an individual team, when you think about the engagement level of your team and even perhaps your own engagement level, you can start to see the uh, the, the, the deleterious effect of that lack of engagement. So with this 20 years of research, we ultimately developed our employee engagement model the 10 employee engagement drivers and i'm going to talk through all 10 of them one of the reactions some leaders have as we go through the engagement model is man you really expect me to master all of this you expect me to lead to all of these things because many of today's say mid-career and senior career leaders they tended to think of employee engagement as reward and recognition. You know what, if I compensate people well enough and I recognize them for a job well done, that should be enough. And there probably was a time when that was enough. But we live in a day now where reward and recognition just barely gets you in the game. Now, if you don't get that right, it, it becomes an issue. You do have to reward employees adequately and you have to recognize them for the work that they that they are doing. Um, and we'll go into that in some detail here in just a second. So, so let's break out these 10 categories and we'll start with pervasive productivity. Essentially what we mean by pervasive productivity is that the workload is equally shared within an organization, within a work group, within a team. If you've ever worked in, a, in an environment where you were one of the high performers, you were one of the contributors, you were one of the people who always um, could be counted on to do to do more, to do extra. And you knew there were a few other team members who were not like that. If you think back to how that erodes your engagement when there are people not carrying their share of, uh, of the burden. Um, one of the um, common, I call it a mistake that the, the leaders make is they keep people around who they they recognize they're not optimal in their performance, but they're not so bad that it's the, that it's worth the trouble of firing them and replacing them. Uh, so we'll we'll ask them, you know, have you or others developed informal workarounds to accommodate some of your suboptimal employees? When you think about, and I'm not I'm not talking about this work environment that you're in currently, but if you think about past work environments. There may have been employees where people basically worked around. We don't go to her for these things, even though it's technically her job, just because it's too much trouble. I end up either running those reports myself or I ask someone else to do it, but I have I have workarounds. Or 
sometimes we have employees who just refuse. They either refuse directly by just saying, I won't do it, or they refuse indirectly by, I can't get to it right away. I'm too busy right now, but I'll be able to do that in three days, or I'll be able to do that next week. So there's a lot of indirect refusals to do work. And sometimes we just, again, end up, I'll do it myself or I'll work around. Um, and some leaders feel like the tight labor market has forcing them to lower their standards or lower their uh, their requirements for employees. But you have to ask yourself, how does this impact the engagement of your most productive employees? You may not think that it is, but but we people know we know there this is all transparent in many cases and so if you don't have an environment where there is pervasive productivity it is going to weigh in on your overall level of employee engagement um one question i like to ask leaders is do you have anybody on your team anybody in your environment that if tomorrow they came to you and said hey I've had enough, I'm gonna resign, and I'm gonna give you my my two weeks notice. Do you have anyone for whom if that happened, you'd actually feel a sense of relief? You'd actually feel a sense of, oh, okay, uh, well, thank you very much, you know, uh, be on your way, and you'd actually be happy to see them go or relieved to see them go, or you wouldn't feel like there was a big gap left if they if they went. If you have anyone like that, you probably have a challenge with pervasive productivity and perhaps it's something that you should take a, a, a look at in terms of how it's impacting your other uh, your other employees. So that's what we mean by pervasive productivity. The next thing we're gonna focus on is authentic leadership. You could spend probably hours, days, weeks, months talking about leadership authenticity. The essence of what we mean by this when we ask employees, what are they looking for in a leader? One of the common things we hear is, I want my leader to be real with me. I want my leader to be authentic with me. And I want to be able to be real and authentic with my leaders. So authentic leadership isn't just being real as a leader, isn't just telling the truth. It's also creating an environment where other people feel comfortable being real with you as well. That's the full essence of what we mean by authentic leadership. And one of the exercises we take people through in this program is something we call the leadership microscope, where we help leaders understand that the perception that others have of them is based upon lots of observations throughout the day, whether we're in a live environment or we're in a, in a remote environment, employees are paying attention they are paying attention to your micro behaviors. If you're a leader who never shows up for meetings on time, it may be that no one calls you on it, but people do notice. Or if you're a leader whose meetings always run late, no one may call you on it, but people notice. They notice your schedule. They notice your attention to detail. Now, as a leader, in fact, the higher you move up in the hierarchy of a business, little or none of this ever make it brought to your attention. No one is coming to you saying, hey, you know, um, we've noticed that um, yeah, the last couple of weeks, you've been a little on edge. Uh, you've been cutting people off. You've been a little sharper and sometimes a little rude and abrasive during, during some of your meetings. For a lot of leaders, it'll never be brought to their attention, but people notice 
how you look. They notice how you sound. They notice your sense of humor. They notice your energy level. They notice if you're having a good day, if you're having a bad day. So if you are an inconsistent leader where day in and day out, we don't know if you're having a good day or a bad day. If your emotions you know, raise high and low and high and low, again, people notice. If you are a leader who uh, talks a good game in terms of wanting to make the world a better place and wanting to lead an organization that is all about very high-minded uh, purpose and intent, but in your actual day-to-day -day work, it's all about the bottom line. No one may ever mention this to you, but people notice. So what we want leaders to understand is that they are always under the microscope. You really should just expect that everything is transparent as a leader, that everyone knows everything, everyone sees everything. They may not in fact see everything, but they're looking at everything. And so the best way to be an authentic leader, to be, the best way to be perceived as an authentic leader is to be an authentic leader and to really think through what kind of impression are you creating with people. Um, I had a um, interesting experience uh, just, a, just recently. Someone actually said that um, they'd received some feedback about me that they thought I was kind of negative sometimes in my writings and the way I was behaving sometimes in meetings, uh, comments I was making regarding leadership in general, and that there was sometimes a bit of a perhaps cynical uh, or as it was characterized, negative tone to some of what I was communicating. And I was surprised at that. I had to really think about that a bit. And after after internalizing it, and I actually went back and I read some of my LinkedIn articles and and I realized, well, yes, there is a bit of a cynicism in some of the articles or or postings because I do come from a background where I hold leaders in a very high esteem in terms of their responsibilities. I was always taught that leadership is a responsibility. So I have fairly high standards for what I would hope to see in leaders. So if I observe leaders or I hear about leaders who are operating in you know perhaps a less than optimal fashion um it does really bother me i mean i and i and i also know that leaders oftentimes they don't have anyone coming to them to say hey we notice your inconsistencies or we notice these particular behaviors and when you live in that bubble as a leader it ends up uh, hurting you because if you live in that bubble, you live in an alternate reality and you're not holding yourself accountable to the same standards that others are. And that's when we get leaders who end up going you know, way off track because no one is holding, holding them accountable. So I think perhaps some of that, that edge that some people perceive from me, it comes from me wanting to hold leaders accountable to the highest possible standards. Leadership authenticity, I think it, it should be the core job for every leader. It should be a core area of focus for every leader. And so the, the sense of that is something we want to bring to leaders in this cracking the engagement code. It's not easy, but it is critical that your employees perceive you as authentic and, and they also perceive you as creating an environment where they can be authentic themselves. Um, so that's why for us, leadership authenticity is a critical element of cracking the engagement code.
So let's talk a minute about energizing environment, because when we when we ask the questions in the survey and we ask employees what it takes to create an energizing environment for them, it's really twofold. There are two halves to an energizing environment. One is the physical environment itself. Um, is you know, do you is it ergonomic? Uh, uh, is there sunshine? Is there adequate access to healthy food, to drinking water, et cetera? There are those physical elements of an environment, but then there's also the emotional element of the environment. Is it an accepting environment, an inclusive environment? Do I feel like I can bring my full self to this environment? Do we do we feel like it's an environment that supports and energizes us? And one of the things that has impacted this in the remote world, with many of us working remotely now, is our home environments. If we don't put a lot of thought into how we build out or structure our home work environment. It may be that we used to work in an office setting that was very, you know, had very energizing. And now we put ourselves at the end of the kitchen table in a in a flat backed wooden chair um, just because that's what's that's what was convenient. And we would strongly recommend that as much attention is paid to the health of the remote working environment as the health of the um, of the live uh, you know, office in environment. Adequate skills and resources is interesting because employees don't always feel comfortable expressing to their boss that they, they lack particular skills. Sometimes they do, sometimes they feel very comfortable uh, expressing this, but it's not just skills. In order for an employee to feel fully energized and engaged in the work, they also have have to have adequate resources. So you'll have situations where employees feel like um, because their employer hasn't provided them the latest software tools or or upgraded hardware. If you feel like the the tools and resources in your workplace are holding you back, that also can erode your overall engagement because you feel like your employer is setting high standards, but they're not giving you the tools to optimally achieve those high standards. Again, that can erode and degrade uh, um, engagement levels. Let's talk about compelling purpose. Almost every business today has a vision statement, a mission statement, a, a compelling purpose statement. We're gonna save the world by whatever. We're gonna make the world a better place by whatever. Uh, those are all fantastic statements, but employees notice the reality of an organization. So you can have a quote unquote mission statement to make the world a better place. But in fact, if the way you're operating day in and day out is inconsistent with that, employees are going to notice particularly. Well, actually, I was going to say particularly younger employees, but some of the latest research indicates that it, it's not generational employees at every stage of their careers now at every phase of their lives now they want to work they want their work to mean more than just the bottom line they want to be more than just a mercenary employee and and so we've seen some examples where uh businesses that you wouldn't expect to have a compelling purpose for employees have actually been able to create that um there's a a a water uh, sewage treatment business that is a really dirty gritty business and that particular business it's just a small local business but that business has 
an employee retention rate of virtually 100%. Employees stay with them year after year because they have created a compelling purpose within their organization. And it's not about water sewage treatment. It is about creating an environment for their employees, for each other. And so their compelling purpose is about the world of work that they create for each other, the team that they create for each other. And they've managed to, in a really dirty, gritty business, create a compelling purpose that works. We've seen this in fast food franchises. We've seen this in other organizations where the the business very consciously works to create a compelling purpose. Is there a specific order of importance of the drivers? Sometimes what happens when a leader asks that question, what they're really saying is, I'm kind of overwhelmed. This is a lot of stuff. Where should I start? And the unfortunate answer is, if you don't get it all right, you are likely not going to have the kind of engaged employees that you need to have. So our answer tends to be, they're all important. I'm not saying they're all equally important, and I'm not saying you wouldn't pick a place to start, but I don't want to create an impression that if you get two or three of them right, hey, you're going to get the majority of your impact. You really do. For today's world, for today's employees, you've got to get all of these things right. And it's not that overwhelming. I mean, honestly, how challenging can it be to create a work environment where employees have adequate skills and resources, they have clear roles and objectives, they have development opportunities to grow, they have a team that they're working with that feels very cooperative, they feel like everyone is equally sharing the burden, there's pervasive productivity, when you really think about it, this is the job of a leader to create all of these things. It should, and if and if there's something missing or something that's inadequate in a particular environment, I would say that's where the leader should be focusing first. So every employee, even even employees who are perhaps five years away from from retirement, they are still driven by development opportunities. Now, sometimes for those employees who are on the back end of their career. The development opportunities have to do with opportunities to mentor others, opportunities to share their wisdom, share what they've learned with others. But finding, and and that's why we call it cracking the engagement code, because it is a unique code for every work environment. It's a unique code for every employee. And so we would recommend that leaders view this as an employee by employee process and ensure that your frontline managers and your frontline supervisors understand what drives employee engagement so that they can create that customized approach one by one for each employee. An environment of cooperative teamwork in between team members, in between divisions, in between departments. Sometimes we see environments where it's just known in the organization that this division doesn't get along well with this division, or this leader doesn't get along with this leader, this group uh, has has challenges with this group, or is it very responsive to this group? An environment where there are internal conflicts, it does erode employee engagement. It And so we want to emphasize how important it is that an environment has an overall culture of cooperation at every level in the organization. And if there are current challenges where particular departments or functions or divisions are viewed as less responsive than others or less uh, cooperative than others, 
those are areas to, to pay attention to because they're impacting the engagement level of all employees, not just the few employees that may be directed or impacted by, by their direct actions. Clear roles and objectives. You would think that this wouldn't have to be said, but from the feedback we received from the, the survey, many employees will say, the job I ultimately was given was not the job that was described to me in the interview process. Or they will say, my, my role has evolved over time, not with any particular strategy in mind. It's just that whatever my boss needs or whatever the business needs, they expect that I'm gonna evolve and do whatever the business needs. I have one employee who said, I should have paid more attention to that line in the job description that said, other duties as required, because he said, my my job is actually 20% of what they described and 80% other duties as required. What employees want, and I know it can't always be completely clearly defined because our needs evolve, our needs ebb and flow, our needs change, but mostly what employees want to count on is, tell me clearly, what is my job? What am I accountable for? What are the objectives of this job? And and, and hold me accountable for that. Don't hold me accountable for other things because someone else didn't do their job or someone else didn't contribute the way you're expecting them to contribute. Make my role crystal clear. And if you really want extra credit, help me see the roles and accountabilities of everyone else in the organization. Because if you just make my role clear, but it's kind of confusing the way the rest of the organization operates. And I'm really not sure who does what, who's accountable for what. Again, that has a degradation on employee engagement. And I and my my point of view on this comes from, again, I'm reading these employee comments. Every single year when we run these surveys, I, I scan through the employee comments and I feel like this helps us tap into what's really happening in the world of employees and, and clear roles and objectives is a is a pain point for a lot of them because they want to know their role and the roles of others within this the structure of their organization so with that we do have one more joy and fun sometimes we forget that people just want to have fun sometimes in a hybrid work environment we forget do you remember the days of working in an office and and you know maybe once a month you might have a, a a, a group birthday celebration or some goofiness happening in the workplace. There is a lot of stuff that happens within that goofiness, within that joy, within that fun. And sometimes we forget, particularly in remote environments, the need to have fun. And for my sales friends, I will say it's also important that with your prospects and clients, if you can find appropriate ways to have fun, and, and that just means sometimes lighthearted comments, lighthearted, you know, poking lighthearted fun at yourself or your situation or or whatever it might mean. But bringing some joy and fun into the work environment is incredibly critical. This is, I mean, it's, we are not made to be serious workers day in and day out. We're made to have fun at what we're doing. So sometimes it has to feel artificial because we have to create artificial events, but anything that you can do to bring a little more joy into the workplace, as long as it's you know relatively appropriate, can't do anything but but do some good for for yourself and everyone else. And then we're going to end up with reward and recognition. And the reason I do 
leave this to last. Most leaders want to lead with this. This is where they want to start. And it's important. Reward and recognition is important. But if you don't get the other things right, you're going to end up having to pay more and recognize more because you're trying to solve a problem using just one of your tools. And if you're trying to solve this problem just with the reward and recognition tool, you're gonna to have to go so overboard, it's gonna cost you more, it's gonna cost you more energy, and, and also it brings its own challenges because when you start recognizing some employees and not others, recognition is can be very sensitive to employees. When someone makes a great accomplishment and gets great recognition for a particular thing, and yet all of the people who contributed to that same thing don't get recognition themselves. It can create an anti-engagement uh, effect if recognition isn't carefully thought through. However, when you get everything else right, all of the other nine factors, while you still have to reward adequately and fairly and, and in alignment with employee expectations, and you still have to recognize employees for the good work they've done, there's not as much pressure on reward and recognition when you're getting the rest of the things right. So with that, I'm going to just go back to this on the screen, the overall model. I'm gonna take a deep breath. Hopefully I've given you a feel for what the full six hour program is like. In the six hour program, we go into much more detail in terms of recommended best practices. We have discussions, we have action exercises, so that by the time someone is complete with this six hours of uh, 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 content, they actually have an action plan in each of these 10 categories, which they've been filling out as the program has been progressing. So with that, I'm going to pause for a minute. Any questions, any reactions, uh, just happy to answer any questions that you might have. You know, when I didn't speak up earlier when you asked about the employee engagement, our thoughts about that, but uh, my thoughts are addressed by these these uh, 10 items here. And that is that, you know, the demographics are shifting where employees just want to be treated differently. They want to be treated like humans. They want to be seen as a whole person, not just as labor. And so all of these things address that, right? I'm not, uh, I don't want to compartmentalize. I'm, I'm saying the royal I, the royal yeah. we. We no longer want to compartmentalize our lives. We, we you know, we are a whole human being. And I think part of that has happened because of the pandemic has made us sort of think differently about life, you know, universe and everything. It, it, it's, a, it's a great point. We, uh, there, there is a strong rejection of menial work, not, and, and not necessarily the actual labor, because there are still people cleaning sewers. There are still people making tacos. There are still people doing labor, but all of that labor can be framed up in a way that does not feel menial that does not feel insignificant that but it does it does take conscious effort on the part of leaders to do that and it's not easy i mean it you're if you're selling vacuum cleaners you know in home in the end that's still a tough job no matter what but it can be a job that has more meaning to it and more pride associated with it than just the labor itself I would say the other big thing I take away is that this is a bigger job than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. And leaders who don't crack this code, it's going to be a permanent weight on them. It's it's oh, it's going to be that invisible thing where you just why if you're asking yourself, 
Why just does it seem harder to get people going? Why does it hard, seem hard to get things done, to get things happening? What's this invisible force that's pushing against me? And this may be part of the invisible force. The other part of it may be that when the pandemic occurred and so many people went into their homes to do their work, I read a, a psychology research report a couple of weeks ago that it was more about a theory. So, so I don't know that this is fact, but the theory behind it was that when we were in this cadence of going to work, you you wake up in the morning at a certain time, you, you shave, you shower, you groom, you um, put your work clothes on, you drive in to, you commute into work. And there's this time of thinking about the work and then you go into the office and the office setting over time, as it's repeated again and again, you walk into a land of you know cubes or offices, but in many ways, the office setting programmed us in certain ways to come to work and to be a certain way in, in work. So you come to the office building, you walk up into the tower, you go up the elevator, you find your floor, you sit in your cubicle, you are in your place. And you do that day in and day out, and without realizing it, you have been hypnotized, you've been programmed, this is your place. And you do your job and then you check out and you leave. And that all that programming worked really well for some businesses. It made very productive employees. And then suddenly we send them home and they're no longer coming into this place. And in their home environment, they're spending more time with their families, more time with their pets less time in that cadence and it's possible that some deprogramming occurred and suddenly i don't like that place i don't like that cube i don't like what that makes me feel because that's not me i am this person that i've been spending more time with in my home environment and so my expectations change my priorities change and i want my leaders to change along with it I don't want to be a cog in anybody's system. I want to be a human. And I and I will give the same thing. I want to give that to my other humans that, that I'm working with. That really is the essence of cracking the engagement code for, for people and, and individual by individual, figuring out where their priorities are, what works for them. And then as a leader, crafting an end-to-end -end work experience that works for those individuals. Is it a big job? Yes. It's a big job, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of energy, but that is the job. At least that's my, my point of view. So that's our show for today. Next week, we're going to continue with the focus on employee engagement. We're going to talk more about quiet quitting and a potential cure, which we call loud leadership. Whatever podcast app you're using to listen to this program, obviously, I hope you'll like and share and subscribe to this podcast to be notified when new episodes get posted every Tuesday. In future shows, I'm going to invite leaders who have practical, real-world advice to share. And of course, I invite your questions and comments, which will also guide the direction of future shows. And again, thank you for listening to Leadership Disrupted.